Well, hey guys, it's Haley. This is episode 127, and you are listening to the very first episode in the new series on Kindled Christianity and Culture. This series is going to take us through the rest of the year. I am so excited for this entire series. What we're going to be doing in the coming months is taking a number of topics or areas of focus, and we will be comparing and contrasting a biblical worldview of that thing to a secular worldview of that thing. So this is going to look a little different depending on the topic, and I'm fully aware that secular is a very generic description, and essentially that just means non-Christian or not religious. But as we know, there is not only one secular worldview on any one given thing. It's not like everyone who isn't a Christian or isn't religious has the same view on something like God and man or justice. So we will be doing our best to give some examples of what we will be seeing from culture, from the world, and and just from kind of the Western postmodern mind. And that's going to look different, like I said, depending on the topic. But that's what we're doing. We're comparing and contrasting a worldly, secular understanding of the topic to a biblical and Christian understanding of the topic. We'll be using scripture, seeing what the Bible actually has to say. Every single guest that I've had on has heavily used scripture in their treatment of their topic and explaining the biblical or Christian worldview. And so I think this will be a really fruitful and helpful exercise for you. And it has been for me to even have the conversations. And this is definitely uh, about worldviews. This is definitely about examining worldviews, both our worldview as Christians and the worldview of people that we come in contact with every day, that we just may not know why they believe what they believe or where it's coming from. So I am praying and expecting this to be really helpful. But I also just want to say this is not by any means a thorough or complete treatment of any of the topics that we'll be covering. I mean, what can I do in an hour? Not that much. But I think we've done something that is definitely worth your time and definitely going to help give you a broad overview. I would say kind of like the 50,000 foot view of that topic. And we will dive in, you know, a, a little bit here and there. But yeah, if you want to get a absolute full understanding of a topic like justice, you're going to need to read quite a few books. So I'm sure everybody knows that, but just wanted to kind of let you know that I know this is not a complete thorough treatment of the topic, but it is what we can do in an hour. And I think it is really going to be helpful for all of us to examine what a biblical worldview is when it comes to something like justice or friendship and then what we hear from the world, because there's just a lot of messages right now being put out there by anyone and everyone with a phone or with a computer. And so we'll actually be looking at a lot of the common cultural messages and phrases and and ideas that we see floating around that we may not even realize are from the world because they've just become so commonplace in our everyday vernacular and in the air we breathe. Okay. All right. So today on Kindled, I am chatting with Jeff Metters, author of Humble Calvinism, and I'm happy to have you on Kindle today, Jeff. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, Haley. I was glad we could uh, make it work out. 
Yes, absolutely. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to listeners. Aside from writing Humble Calvinism, tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, uh, right now I live in Houston, Texas with my family. I'm married. I got two kids. I'm a writer and a speaker and and do some assessments and trainings and stuff like that for Acts 29. And I've written for the Gospel Coalition and and for Desiring God um, and other places like that. And I'm just uh, happy to be a servant of, of Christ and to be on your show. I also have a podcast called uh, Home Row, Just Keep Writing. It's a podcast on writing. And so we try to just encourage writers out there to keep writing and ways they can grow as writers and learn from other writers too. That's really cool. Well, as far as the topic for today, we're going to talk about God and man. And this is kicking off the Christianity and culture series that I'm doing here on Kindled. And, uh, this is where I felt like we had to start. I really feel like there's no, there's no other place to begin than understanding who God is. And then in light of him, who we are, when we're talking about all of our beliefs, because everything is really centered around him. And then for the world, you know, a lot, a lot of it is centered around who they believe they are, but there's also something there, even if you don't have a belief in God, who you believe yourself to be does affect and is related to who you believe God to be. And and sometimes for the world, they just kind of go about those things backwards. But ultimately, I think that these two questions are so central to understanding our own worldview, understanding other people's worldview. We can't talk about other things like justice or sexuality and gender or belonging and friendship. We can't talk about all these peripheral topics until we get an understanding of who God is and who we are in light of those. So launching us into this series, who is God? Let's just start there because I think yeah. that's the most basic place to start. Who is God? That's such a giant question yeah. <laughs> that I feel like with, with so many doctrines, there are the, the not simple or not simplistic, but brief answers that are true that then open up into a Narnia of other answers that are also true. So if we were to say, who is God? Well, he's the creator. That is a true and I think historic, orthodox, sufficient answer for a a truth about God. And then now that opens up into all, all kinds of other things. But before before we go into that, as you were you know kind of setting up the, where you're going to be going over these next few weeks, it reminded me, since we just talked about Calvin, it reminded me of John Calvin's quotes at the beginning of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, where he says, there can be no true knowledge of self without knowledge of God. Right. And in the next section, I may have them flip-flopped, but he also says, there can be no true knowledge of God without knowledge of self. Mm-hmm. And so that we have to know who is God, who has he revealed himself to be, and, and who are we? And once we know these things, that once those kind of things are put into the right uh, solar system orbit and structure, the gravitational pull um, and everything else gets put in in the right way. So, right. so who is God? God is the one, true, holy, eternal, self-sustaining creator, Lord, ruler of all things. Um, that exists and has always existed in the Trinity, in three three persons, but one God, and the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the the three in one. So this this is God. He was and is the only God, 
And the one who deserves all of our worship, the one who calls for all of our worship, and the one who invites sinners into his everlasting love through the sacrificial substitute of God the Son on the cross Mm -hmm. for us, and who offers his spirit to those who will believe in his Son for forgiveness of sins by his resurrection. So who is God? God is the creator, sustainer, ruler, one, three in one, all of those things. But also I love in Exodus 30, I think it's Exodus 34. It's the most common description of who God is. And it comes from God himself. And it's, it, it's true, of course, Isaiah 6, and you have other passages like in Revelation, holy, 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 the, the thrice holy. But in Exodus, the Lord's, you know, Moses says, who, who are you? And God answers back to Moses, says, the Lord, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and will by no means clear the guilty, but will forgive iniquity and sin to the thousandth generation. That, so when I, when I think of the question, who is God? I think of God's self-revelation to us, of course, from Genesis to Revelation, but particularly that there in Exodus, merciful, yeah. gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's a great verse. It's not one that I would have thought of, but I love, yeah, I love that. You you mentioned the self-revelation. So who is, I mean, just going going down the list here, yeah. you said without without knowledge of God, we can't know ourselves. So then on the flip side, who is man? And I'm sure we'll we'll get d- deeper into yeah. both of those, but yeah, once once we see God's self-revelation to us, it also is kind of a disclosure of who we are not that if this is God, then we are non-God. Mm-hmm. We, we are not these things. We are not eternal spirits that were hovering about in some kind of pre-Nirvana type state that now we are linked up to a, a fleshy vehicle over for 80 years and until we go and are released into Nirvana. That's not who we are. We, we are not eternal beings, um, that we are created, that we were our first human was formed in the Garden of Eden by God himself and it was breathed into by the creator God. And so that we are creatures, we are finite, we are weak, we are incredible because we've been made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And so we have amazing capabilities that have been gifted to us from, from the very genius of God himself, down from his, from his heart, so that while we are a creature, we are also not um, like every other creature. Uh, we are not like cheetahs, and we are not like clownfish, and we are not like golden doodles. We are created in the image of God, in His likeness, and that gives us a that gives us a different mission, that gives us a different calling, that gives us a different value, uh, that gives us a. So while we are other than God, we are also other than every other creature too. We we are unique on this planet because we've been made in the image of God. So that gives us dignity, that gives us value, and that gives us, that gives us abilities and a vision for life that other animals have not been called to and gifted for. Yeah. So what would you say to someone that asks you, okay, so you you told me who God is, but where did God come from? Who created him? You know, there's this idea that like God's the creator, but 
is he created? Is he self-created? How did, how has he always existed? My mind can't comprehend that. Yes. Um, what would be your yeah. response to that? I would say you are correct. Our, mm-hmm. our minds, our minds cannot comprehend this. Right. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know who said it before that it'll take an eternity to begin to know and understand the eternal God, that he is eternal. And for like, we can say that word um, and we know and I think sometimes when we think of the word eternal, we kind of default to, oh, it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. We go forward, but we don't ever go backward. And, mm-hmm. and so to go backward and go, so before Genesis 1 and in our, in our scriptures, God was eternally existing in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, enjoying fellowship for some kind of time. And how do we even measure that time? Is it, is it measurable? I, I don't know. And what, what I love about the Bible is the Bible's not interested in giving us those, those answers to those questions. Mm-hmm. There are some things that we won't find sufficient answers to. But, it, but here's the encouraging thing. You go to science, you're not going to find those answers either. Right. You go to secular humanism, you're not going to find those answers there either. Um, you go to different evolutionary theories and so you're not going to find answers to a, a lot of these, these questions either, but there are some questions that you can find answers to um, with God, with his word and by his spirit. And so, okay, God's eternally existed. Yes. Forever. He, he was not created. He is the creator. He, he didn't, uh, it's not like a cartoon movie, you know, where kind of the, it's just a black screen and it unzips and a hand pops out and it's, and it snaps and then boom, God's there created. No, God has always been, he is the alpha and the omega as, as Jesus says in the book of revelation, he is from beginning to end. He is the one singular constant in all of human history mm-hmm. and all of pre-human history and all of post this earth history. God will still be that common denominator constant throughout all of it. Yeah, it is just, it's kind of like uh, my brain goes back and forth trying to jump around to follow the thinking and and wrap my mind around it. And it's impossible. We can't wrap our minds around the the whole concept because like even you using words, directional words like forward or backward, like God isn't forward or backward. He's like in every direction all at once, all the time. And he's both working in time and space, in our universe, in our existence, and he's outside of it. So yes. it's very, it's, it's very it's tough. overwhelmed there and go, but I, how does that work? One thing that I've always loved was um, how Plato described him as the unmoved mover. And mm. this idea that everything in the universe had to be created or had to be acted upon in order to come into existence, like the earth, you know, us, everything we see has been moved upon, but God is the only being that has not been moved upon. He is the unmoved mover. He moves everything else. And that's the, I mean, so as close as we can get really to understand. Yeah, that. yeah that's good, Haley. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's so many things that we see revealed to us in the, in the scriptures that give us confidence, they give us courage, they give us joy mm-hmm. about who, who God is for us. And there are other things that, especially like Genesis, Genesis is just not interested mm-hmm. in, in, in giving to us. Yeah. And so in some regard, that has to help, that, that helps us when we have these questions, the ones that we, the Bible doesn't seem to answer. Yeah. And that helps me in, in this way. 
that I can go, you know what? It's okay that I'm wrestling with this question Mm -hmm. because the Bible's not giving me an answer for this. Mm -hmm. And if the Bible's not giving me an answer for this, then it must not be that significant to my walk with Christ Mm -hmm. and and to my joy that I I can have some unanswered Mm -hmm. questions. Yeah. And, and I'm going to have to step out in, in faith and, and trust God, unless we find some kind of Dr. Strange reality time stone or whatever, you know, we're we're just going to be left with some, with some non-answers and some, some questions left hanging. Yeah. It reminds me of the uh, Spurgeon quote, everything is needful that he sends and nothing can be needful that he withholds. Yeah. So if there, if there's something he's withheld, whether that's knowledge about himself or, a prayer request, you know, something that we think we need or want or have asked for or feel is, you know, important to us and yet he hasn't given it, then it must not be needful, you know? And so it's That's like, right. we just really have to trust the character of who he is, that he's good. And that if we needed to know that, that and, and, and it would be in line with his goodness if we did, you know, that we don't. And so, yeah, that does give us peace. So let's kind of shift a little bit and talk about because we've, we've covered some ground here and I know there's obviously so much more to who God is and the question of, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the question of evil a little bit. Cause I know that's one of the things that people ask about um, and, and struggle with in relation to the idea of a good God. Okay. But then yeah. how, then how did, how are we living in a, a, an evil world? Um, and that might get a little bit outside the scope of this conversation, but before we go any further, let's contrast what we talked about so far to how, Someone who is not a Christian, not a professing believer, let's just say the average, you know, Joe on the street, how does a, a secular worldview, someone who who does not adhere to the Bible and, and believe in the word of God as true and authoritative, how would they understand God? And I realize you cannot give an answer for every yeah. single every single person, but is there, you know, is there a way that we could kind of help shed light on maybe contrasting a, a, a postmodern, like secular view of God with okay. the one that we just described. Yeah. There are a variety of, mm-hmm. of ways that this, this, I mean, every person you'd bump into in the street, you could find a different, a different answer, different yeah. variation. I just read recently uh, naming the, uh, yeah. Naming the elephant by, by James Sire, where he talks oh, yeah, about the different, uh, uh, different approaches to, to worldviews and, and the ways that people may approach God and their pre-theoretical uh, assumptions and, and presuppositions uh, about things. It's a really, really interesting read for, for the non, for the secular kind of postmodern kind of where we are. Yeah. I think some of it really depends. So like I live in the, the greater Houston area. And so by and large uh, people in the suburbs, um, they are going to have a kind of theistic view. It's not going to be even a Christian theism. They're going to have some kind of view. Yeah, God's there, but you know, God just really wants us to be happy. God wants our best, and you know, as long as you're a good person, and as long as you know, you you try to help other people. Um, of course, He's going to let you into heaven, and mm-hmm. and of course, um, God's going to bless you with all these kinds of things. So there's there's that version of a. Right. It's God in name. It, it's borrowing the the name of God. It's not the God of the Bible. It's it's not the God of it's not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that that we would know of. Others you'll bump into, and their view of God is going to be nothing. God is just an idea. God is just something that we came up with to kind of 
you know, it's just kind of an ancestral tradition. Um, it's something like the boogeyman, something like the tooth fairy, uh, something like Santa Claus that, you know, it's, it's a part of cultural heritage, but doesn't have any real bearing, doesn't have any real meaning on how you would uh, shape your morality, how you would view the marriage bed, how you would uh, view raising your children. They wouldn't have any bearing and on ethics. I wouldn't have anything to do with how you spend your money or your entertainment, anything like that. That it's just a, it's just a thing of the culture. Um, you know, if it makes you feel good to pray to him, if it makes you feel good to, to go to some church like that or whatever, well, fine, do it. But don't you dare force that on other people. Don't you dare tell other people about it. So it kind of just becomes a, um, what's good for you is good for you. Um, if you want God, then great. But don't, don't, don't go around shelling him out to people. Yeah. Um, and you don't have others out there that, you know, this, the classic kind of agnostic that, you know, something's out there. I, I don't know what is out there, right. but um, I'm open to it. Um, and so, I mean, there's just a lot of, of different ways um, that people are going to view God, but I guess if you could boil it all down to um, what is it, that would be, I, I guess I would just say the word irrelevant that God to them is irrelevant. Whereas for, for those who believe in an empty tomb in Jerusalem and those of us that believe that there is a risen Nazarene in the heavenly places, the God to us is relevant uh, to, to everything now. Yeah. And I mean, you could even go a step further there and like, it's, he's not just relevant, but he's, essential or integral yes. like he yes. we can't even understand ourselves without him or how we should live or spend our money or live our lives or why we're here or what the point is i mean That's right. whereas the world offers answers to all those questions without god without yeah and and i know i'm using these terms very very loosely like the world like as though everyone's a monolith i know that's not true but i think in, at least in you know western postmodern, post-Christian, post-everything culture, like I think that we are seeing just more and more all the time how God has, it is, I mean, just he's been removed from, like you were saying, uh, really from from being relevant. Like he's removed from people's morality, people's sense of what's right and wrong. That's, you know, now being determined by their own personal aesthetic or right. their own um, personal set of values. And, and we have these ideas of your truth and my truth. We have these ideas that are, you know, everything is kind of subjective. And like you said, there, there could be many ways to get to God. There's not just one way. And how dare you even propose that? That's, that's so incredibly elitist of you. Well, what yeah. says you have the right God? How do you know? Why, why should I believe that? And so really we have a, a world that is just kind of essentially because they're not anchored in anything that is absolutely true. They're just kind of spinning out of control. And I think mm. we see that happening right now. Um, you know, even in the face of uncertainty and, and all the, uh, you know, the stuff with the virus and what's happening in at least the United States politically right now, and just the extreme, uh, the extreme polarization of our nation, you know, I think it's challenging to enter into these conversations really without Christian faith as a basis and, and a unifier because there is nothing to unify. Like there's actually, there's no common ground. There's no, I mean, 
it's very, it's really hard, I think, to, to know how to um, move forward. And, and it should be because we were made to be anchored in something that is absolutely true, being God himself, the person who he is, his eternal attributes, what he says is good, what he says is holy, what he says is our purpose to glorify and enjoy him, you know? And so without that, I mean, it's no surprise that it feels like everyone is just a little unhinged, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You you are so right because without that, without the stabilizing force that is, that is God himself, which you see all throughout the scriptures, whether it's, if you just go to Genesis chapter three, right after the fall of Adam and Eve and the world, even though it's a small, small human existence right now, it is already unraveling and they have already turned on each other. Um, God comes in and he becomes the stabilizing force again. And, and they trust him and they listen to him. Um, you have there with Joseph um, and his, his world is unraveling, but God is his stabilizing force. When you intended for evil, God intended for good. You have, if you go fast forward to Moses and the Israelites, the, they're there in the wilderness. They're there with Pharaoh. Things are spinning out of control, but God is the stabilizing force. Uh, the kingdoms get ripped apart. God is telling them, I am the, I will redeem you from all of your backsliding. He tells them in Ezekiel, I will become your stabilizing force again. And then Jesus speaks to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. Whoever doesn't you know, do these words of mine will be like the man who built his house on the sand. And so, so much of what we're seeing, whether in broader culture, um, even inside evangelicalism are out there, we're being forced with the question of who is the authority in my life? Yeah. It is either going to be God or my, my favorite politician, mm-hmm. my favorite uh, TikTok and, and Instagram uh, persona. Mm-hmm. It'll be my, my um, ancestors a professor, who is the authority that I listen to in my life? And I I hear what they say, I do it, and it is now habituated into my life. And that's what Jesus is delivering to us. And and I think this is what all four gospel writers are trying to show us when Jesus teaches, and we see this in all the gospel accounts, Jesus teaches and the crowds say, wow, someone who is teaching with authority and then Jesus at the Great Commission says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, so mm-hmm. go. So will he be the authority that we listen to, that he now is shaping our worldview? He, he is now shaping, as uh, James K. Smith talks about, he is now shaping our social imaginary of, of how we're going to operate in this world and his authority, his words, and we're going to follow him. With, without that, we're, we're just looking for competing authorities. And so it's, it's in the church where we say, we know who our authority is and uh, we, we listen to him and he's going to shape how we view and how we live and, and how we view and think and feel mm-hmm. uh, everything in this world now. Yeah. It's really good. I like how you pointed out that as early as Genesis three, we started to see things unravel and it's, it just indicates the, the effect of sin. When you see there was really, you know, there was one family, two brothers, 
and yeah. they couldn't even get all. I mean, one had to kill the other. I mean, that that's how sweeping it's. It's yes. like it wasn't like differing tribes from different countries or different peoples or two sides of the same continent. It was literally one family. Yes, and that that family because of sin, because of the effects of sin, um, as a result of Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God was was clearly under the curse of death i mean and and they didn't die immediately like the serpent serpent said you know you won't surely die which was partially true they didn't immediately die but clearly death entered in because we see a murder happening between the brothers like right off the bat and so it's just like wow i mean it doesn't take hundreds or thousands of years for the effects of sin to be seen it's immediate and and that you know shows us and it gives us an understanding of the picture of where we are today, even as, you know, human beings without God, where they are in relation to each other. Um, if they do not, if they have not been made right with God, how can they be made right with each other? I mean, it just, it helps us put into context, you know, think, I mean, things do look really bad and things are really bad, but at the yeah. same time, it's not that, well, it used to be so much better. It's like, no, it's actually like sin has been, wreaking havoc and causing bloodshed since Genesis three there, or I don't know, is that maybe that's chapter four? I'm not sure, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Genesis three, Adam and Eve sell each other out and then they're boys, as you said. And then you're right. The the old Testament does not paint a great picture of humanity. Mm -hmm. This episode is brought to you by our friends at GeoBit. They point out something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. There is not a lot that we are sure about right now, but one thing that we want to be sure of is our children's safety and where they are. So with so much uncertainty around school and alternating days for a lot of people with virtual hybrid schedules or new situations, we want to be sure our kids are safe. Geobit is the smallest, long-lasting, kid-proof and school-friendly location tracker. You can create geofenced, trusted places, get notifications of your child's whereabouts, and get alerts when they wander too far, all in real time. Geobit brings you all the advanced tracking technology of a cell phone inside a durable device, smaller than a cookie. This goes right on your kid's wrist. It's easy for them to wear. They won't even notice it. And it's going to give you all the information that you would love to have on where they are throughout the day. Use the code track to school to get $15 off your tracker. All you need to do is text tracker to 474747 and get the link. That's track to school in one word for $15 off. Simply text tracker to 474747. Okay, back to my conversation with Jeff Metters. It doesn't it doesn't paint us in rose-colored glasses like, man, we're we're we are the best thing that has happened to this planet. It paints us in a light of, you know, we're we're very deeply flawed people. And we need something outside of us. Something that is a alien foreign righteousness. Something that is extraterrestrial, to use that language, mm-hmm. that will that's not bound to this earth, that, that is going to come down and help us. And you see that at the Tower of Babel. We, we try to make a name for ourselves. Let's make ourselves great and let's do this. That doesn't work. And it takes, it takes God the Son coming down, coming down to our world so we could be right, so we could be fixed, so we could be repaired. So uh, the view of this world, so we could see it the way that he sees it. And that's the worldview that we need. Yeah, that's a perfect segue to kind of talking about 
we've given some context for who God is and who we are in light of him as the creation, but let's go over what you just alluded to that God's son came down to earth and that is the gospel. But if you could kind of lay that out for us and now connecting these two God and man, what is the relationship? So we've, we've talked about sin and the fall, but what is the relationship now because of Christ for those who would believe? Yeah. So since, since there's been such a divide between us, the way that the scriptures speak is that we have become enemies of God. This, this is helpful to think about for a second. We haven't become enemies of God because this is God's doing, um, because this is God's like, well, now I'm angry at you and you're going to be my enemies and we're going to be arch enemies. Now. No, it, this, is, this is our doing. We're the ones who went against his will. We're the ones who have betrayed him. We're the ones who didn't worship him. We're the ones who have lied about him. We're the ones who have uh, tried to use our bodies for our own means. We're the ones who try to use our money. And, and so we've declared a, a war uh, against God. But what God has done is in his great humility and in his great sacrifice and in his, as Exodus tells us, in his being merciful, being gracious, being slow to anger, um, his abounding in, in steadfast love. He came, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, he came born of the Virgin Mary to take on a human body just, just like ours, to live a perfect, sinless life, and, and to die for our sins so that we could be, and as he rose again from the dead, he, he unites us to himself and brings us to the Father and right standing and, and his right standing so that when the father hears my name and, and sees your name and we, he sees on our accounts that we are righteous, that we're saved, that we are declared holy and that we are now made right with God. And this doesn't just, you know, give us a rubber stamp and then send us out into the world. And now we can go do whatever we want. But what it does is it now brings us into his family mm-hmm. and we're welcomed as his children and he brings us into, he brings us into the family, and not just says, "Hey, go play in the backyard and enjoy my creation um, that I'm blessing you with." Rather, it's like he's invited us into the family, and he's invited us into the family business, hmm. and we we are working in the family business, which is to spread the fame of his name and to spread his glory as like as the waters you know cover the earth, as the waters cover the the seas to make known the name of Christ, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and to see more people like us, more sinners uh, welcomed into his grace, welcomed into his mercy. And to do that until the wheels come off of our bodies and we die and we're, then we're raised from the dead. And so, so we're saved, we're, we're united to God. We're given a new mission from God. That's really an old mission that we would subdue the earth. We would take dominion. Um, to do it back in Genesis, but now we're going to do it by spreading the name of Christ and by welcoming more people into his kingdom. And so that's our family business. That's, uh, so now when we look at the world, the way that we view our place in the world now is making known the name of Christ. First Corinthians 10 31 says, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. So we view our work as this is, this should be done in a manner and a means for the glory of God. Um, how we raise our children, our entertainment choices, how we spend our money, that this now has a, a gospel view to how we do these things now, since Christ is my Lord, how will I now live? Since Christ is my Lord, 
how can I make his name known now? And so through the gospel, not just our eternity changes, but our, our time on this earth and how we spend it and our mission that now changes too. Yeah. Kind of brought it back full circle there because we started out talking about how um, without God, we have no idea how to do anything on this. I mean, we, we don't, we might have some ideas, but we don't really understand why we're here, what the point is. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people um, alive today who could not answer that basic question. Why are you alive? What's the purpose of your life? I mean, and it's, uh, I, I think that it's helpful to kind of just bring it back full circle to, to see that how within the context of scripture, we're provided answers to everything that we need for life and godliness. And the Bible yeah. tells us that. And so it, it can, yeah. in the midst of a world that is unhinged, we can be uh, securely anchored to that truth in spite of that. Yeah. And it's like all the catechisms, you know, tell us what's the the meaning of life, the point of life, others for them other ways, phrase them other ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's our only hope in life and death, uh, all that yeah. to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Yeah. And as John Piper uh, just tweaks it a little to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Mm-hmm. That's what Adam and Eve were called to do, mm-hmm. to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that's what we are called now to do in the gospel. And that's what we're empowered to do. Uh, by the spirit of the risen Christ to glorify God and enjoy him forever. As we navigate, as, as we navigate every valley of the shadow of death, as we lay down in green pastures, as we walk into a new uh, university campus, as we start a new job um, in a highly secularized environment, as um, you begin uh, your life as a newlywed, whatever it may be, we're doing this now in the power of, of Christ to glorify uh, God and to enjoy him forever. Yeah. With our remaining time, I would be very sad to have had you on this interview and not asked you some about the sovereignty of God. So I have to do okay. that. Oh yeah, um, let's do it. But I would love for you to kind of, because uh, I think this is related for sure, of course, to the whole question of who is God and man, because we've talked about sin. We've talked about how God is good. And yet, you know, okay, this idea that sin entered the earth and now we have evil and we have suffering and all of this and yet that's that's actually one of the biggest problems a lot of people have with the whole Christian faith is this idea that there is a good God who could fix and heal and solve all of these problems and he doesn't, or apparently from their view, he hasn't and isn't doing anything about it. And so I'm just going to let you start talking, but what, yeah. can you give us an understanding, like what is the sovereignty of God and how would you respond to this problem of evil is what it, you know, kind of as we understand. Yeah. It. Yeah. These are huge, huge categories. Yes, and, they are. <laughs> and, and Yeah. And typically because these huge, weighty, important categories that matter a lot to people, they spring from places of deep hurt and real woundedness and real perplexity um, and, and real longing for wanting either justice or vindication mm-hmm. or hope. And so we, I think when people, especially when, when unbelievers or, or struggling Christians come to us with these kinds of questions, we should approach them with great uh, sensitivity um, and not just throw an A.W. Pink quote at them, but, mm-hmm. but to really enter into why, why does this matter so much to you? I, I'd love to just know, like, what, what is it that this is so significant? Where, where's this question coming from? To really try to enter in and to, to try to love people through this. And so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so part of God's sovereignty stems from 
um, him being God and us not being God from his incommunicable attributes, which are attributes of God that belong only to him. Uh, whereas communicable, those are ones that are shared with us from being made in his image, like love. God is love and we can love, but God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. We are not omnipresent. We are spatially located, uh, limited wherever our, wherever our bodies take us. Uh, I have no idea what my son's doing in the other room. When I left, he was watching TV. I hope he's still watching TV, but I don't know. I'm not omnipresent and I'm also not omniscient. I'm not all knowing and I'm not omnipotent. I'm not all powerful, Um, but God is all knowing. He's everywhere and he's all powerful. I know I'm not all powerful because I tell my 90 pound golden doodle to sit and she just stares at me, Mm -hmm. but Jesus rebukes a storm and it listens. Um, He rebukes a demon and it listens. Um, He cures a woman who was bleeding for 12 years and her broken health uh, listened and was restored. And so there are things about the sovereignty of God that we hear and it sounds so troubling. Um, It sounds so scary that God's in control of really means he's in control of everything Mm -hmm. that he has not only planned everything as Ephesians one teaches us that he has planned everything according to the counsel of his will and that he also orchestrates all, all that we see in this world and he is he has not left the station he has not left the wheel of the universe unmanned god is still at work uh, it's also in his the his theological category of providence he he is at work daily and, and all of these things it's not like he you know spun up the universe and let it go and is sitting back in heaven and just watching mm-hmm. things unfold no that he is intimately involved in in everything as jesus says in matthew chapter 6 that not a bird falls to the ground without our father's knowing um look at the flowers of the field he cares for them and how much more does he care for you and so that really brings us i think to why god's sovereignty can be i think if it's taught rightly and approached rightly can be such a, a, a good thing for us because the fact that god is sovereign would be really scary if God were also not gracious and merciful mm-hmm. and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What's important, I think it's John Frame that talks about this, about God's attributes, is that the attributes, they attribute one another as well. So like God's wisdom is an eternal wisdom. God's power is a loving power. God's mercy is a tender, omnipresent mercy. Um, so that God's attributes also define one another as well. So if, like, if, if God were gracious, gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but not sovereign, but not the ultimate power in the universe, mm-hmm. then what good news is that right. to anyone? Right. It's, it's having a really benevolent grandmother God. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Um, you know, it's awesome having a 90-year-old who's good. gracious. Yes, it's yeah. no good. It's, it's no help. Mm-hmm. Now to the other side. So, okay, God is gracious, merciful, so to anger and abounding and steadfast love, and he's sovereign. Why do awful things happen in this world? Why do unspeakable tragedies happen in this, in this world? And sometimes, I, I think sometimes we, have, we just have to say, I, I don't know why. We can ruminate. We can go back and forth and talk about why, but as, as we started to be God and to be non-God, that means sometimes I don't know. 
all the motives. I don't know all the explanations. That's a better way to put it. I don't know all the explanations for why, for why these things happen in in this world. And so when I when I think about um, the questions of evil um, and things like that, well, I would bring up another question. Something when it comes around with free will, people love to talk about free will and that. Well, I don't want God impinging on will. God should not be involved in in people's will and go okay. So if you don't want a universe filled with evil things happening and filled with crime and horrible tragedies that, that happen that we see, do you want God to interfere with people's wills and to keep that from happening? And people are going to, you know, him and haul and ha- have other answers to that. Mm-hmm. And, but here's what I usually say. And it comes that back to now with the, with, with hell. So if, why would a God, why would a kind, loving, merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, sovereign God, he has an answer for all the evil that happens in this world. He's getting rid of it. Like if God is good, gracious, merciful, loving, and sovereign, well then what do you want God to do with sex traffickers? Mm-hmm. Should they just get a pass and be allowed to do what, what, what do you want God to do with the people that are using children to uh, be drug mules? Yeah. What, what, what do you want God to do with, and we go on and down the list of horrible things that happen, horrible sins that are committed to, to others in this world. Like God's doing something about that. Yeah. The sovereign God says, I'm getting that out of my universe. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I have created and I'm going to create a place where the worm does not die and where the fire is not quenched. And I am, I am getting that evil out of my universe. And this is what the God of Christianity is doing. He's mm-hmm. getting that evil out. He's putting his mercy and his love and his compassion on display by also saying, I've also put this on my son too. Mm-hmm. So either either you can pay for your evil and your sin for eternity, or my son can have paid for it on the cross mm-hmm. for six hours, and you could be set free. And, and so I feel like when, when it comes to when it comes to the the problem of evil, it comes down to really I think a problem of am I okay being non God. And and, yeah. and not having answers to some of the really difficult questions. And am I okay with looking at God and saying, well, God's going to take care of this. Mm-hmm. And he has his timetable. He has made promises and he will see them through. And am I willing to also look at every other religion and look at every other faith claim on the planet with the same scrutiny that I am bringing, that I am bringing to the Christian God as well? Yeah. That's a great point. And I mean, for everyone listening, you know, I, I know a lot of you guys will already, will already be aware of this, but that is, that is what we call the gospel. That is Jesus coming to earth. Um, as Jeff is just describing is the good news because when people say, well, why doesn't God do something about it? The answer is that he did and he yeah. is, and it's, it's like he has, and he is, he's continuing to bring about his plan and it's unfolding. And I mean, 
the the hard thing is that, like you said, we aren't God. So we just don't see that we don't have the full view. It's like we are seeing the tapestry being woven from the backside and we can't see what the picture looks like yet. We can't see the front. We, we're seeing all the loose threads, uh, you know, getting twisted and torn or cut or trimmed in different ways that look completely, you know, sometimes this doesn't make any sense. This is senseless. This is senseless death or wickedness or evil or this, I mean, and even the Bible does tell us that the the wicked uh, may prosper in this life. So you yeah. may see the wicked prosper for a time, but ultimately they will not, they, they will not come out on top. And we know that right. to be true from his words. So um, it really does come down to that question of, you know, kind of going back again to this whole idea of like, who is God and who is man? Like, we are not God. And so can we, like that answers so many of our questions, but it is, uh, it just reveals the propensity of all of our hearts to want to be God and want to put ourselves on the throne um, and to be all powerful, all knowing, and uh, all of the things, all the omna words that you mentioned earlier, um, and yeah, omnipresent, uh, it, all the things that we can't be, there's this, there's this desire and, you know, innate kind of, uh, with our sin nature, this propensity towards wanting to be God. And I mean, it's, I mean, even as a believer, even though we know we're not, we don't believe we are, we experience that all the time in creating our own little kingdoms, worshiping ourselves, you know, setting ourselves up for success. And when our kids interrupt us or things don't go the way we want, we lose it. And right. you know, we all experience that on a micro scale. Um, that's so good. So man, so we're talking about the sovereignty of God for those listening. Most of the audience is going to be Christians that believe all of this to be true and have really been encouraged by this, but maybe you could kind of give us some closing ideas or sentiments around how do we as believers lovingly with grace and understanding reach out to those who are not in the family right. yet. And, yeah. and in light of the sovereignty of God, even in light of the fact that we yeah. know God has, God has predestined and, and called those whom he will. And yet he also asks us to be a part of that process. And right. so could you speak to that? Yeah. You know, our doctrine and our theology and our Christian worldview should never get in the way of walking in the commands of Christ. It's, we've got it backwards. It's the proverbial cart before the horse. If our worldview of our theology of predestination or the doctrine of election mm-hmm. um, becomes a hurdle towards fulfilling the Great Commission, towards making disciples, towards evangelizing. So that, that would be a, a blatant misunderstanding and a misapplication uh, of that doctrine and, and really any doctrine. And so, and I think when it comes to the sovereignty of God and knowing that, you know, Jesus tells us in the gospel of Mark, I think it's Mark chapter four, the the parable of the farmer, that he goes out, he sows seed, he sleeps, wakes up, sleeps again, whatever, and then he's got a crop. And so what did the farmer do? The farmer was just faithful, sowed his seeds, and as Paul tells us, God gave the growth. Mm-hmm. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so just like Ephesians 2 has our, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. So that's what we have to do. So we know these things. We, man, these people I'm talking to, they're dead in their sins. Yeah, but God. Mm-hmm. But God who is rich in mercy, who's abounding in steadfast love, 
who's merciful and gracious and slow to anger. Um, he can cause them by grace to be saved from their sins as well. And, and so and I, I think, I think worldview learning and apologetics and all that kind of stuff, it can be really helpful and, and just help us kind of understand maybe where people will be coming from. But it, for me, it always comes back to, as you were just talking about Haley, it always comes back to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so if you're talking to somebody who has a secular worldview, which could have a hundred different ways of, you know, someone who's not a Christian um, and doesn't even have a, maybe a theistic worldview that there is some kind of singular God that, that should be worshiped and adored. It doesn't really matter if you get wrangled up in uh, views of gender, if you get tangled up in how they view creation or how they would view marriage. I mean, fine, you can talk about that stuff. That's great. But really it comes down to, is Jesus alive or not? Hmm. Because if Jesus is dead, well, then who cares? Who cares about anything the Bible has to say? If, if Jesus is a pile of bone dust somewhere in the Middle East, well, then our Christian view of marriage doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Our Christian view of anything and everything has now become completely irrelevant. Right. But since Jesus is alive now, th- this now changes the way we view everything in this universe, the way we view every topic now, especially the ones um, that are hot button issues in our culture today. Um, and so I just always have conversations with people and just say, Hey, especially if they tell us, well, I don't like what Christianity teaches about this. I don't like what Christianity teaches about that. And I tell them, of course you don't, mm-hmm. of course you wouldn't because you don't know Jesus. Nobody is born loving these things. Nobody is born agreeing with these things. You become a disciple of Christ and you're born again and you become a disciple and, and you now learn from Jesus and you're growing with him. And so of course you would despise the things that Christianity teaches. But let's start here. Is Jesus yeah. alive? Like, could the resurrection of Jesus, like, because you don't like, you know, Christianity's view on marriage, does that mean Jesus could not have risen from the dead? And so I just always try to bring people back to that. And when, when mm-hmm. it comes to engaging non-believers, uh, people that aren't in the family of God yet, no one will be born again by um, adopting the Christian worldview or the Christian ethic. Right. Um, they will only become born again when they've been adopted by the Christ and when they've seen his resurrection. Man, that's so good. That's such a helpful reminder. Cause I think, yeah, we can so easily get caught up in those specific conversations and discussions. And like you said, trying to uh, convince someone of our ethic or, you know, even a biblical ethic for, like you said, sexuality or gender, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you don't believe in Christ and it's not going to matter until you do. (laughs) So, um, so that's so helpful for people to remember and just be encouraged that um, ultimately there is a hierarchy of, you know, importance when it comes to sharing your faith with others. And it doesn't start with, you know, trying to get them to live a more moral life. It comes, it starts with telling them about Jesus. So man, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us on this topic. Um, I would love for people to be able to connect with you online. Can you tell them where they can find you online? Yeah, I'm pretty active on Twitter usually. So you can find me on there uh, at Mr. Metters, M-R-M-E-D-D-E-R-S. You can find me there. And also uh, on Instagram, just at Jeff Metters. And then on my blog, 
It's just jamedders.com. And there you can find links to my own articles, articles I've written around the internet, links to my books and my podcasts and other stuff like that. So yeah, I'd love to connect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Haley. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really hope that that first episode gets you excited for what is to come in this series. I am so pumped for all of it. As a reminder, this Wednesday, my next Firestarters episode comes out. And if you are not sure what those are, those are my exclusive series of episodes that come out every Wednesday for Patreon subscribers. So if you are in the Kindle Patreon community, you get those episodes every Wednesday a little bit more of a personal and raw and intimate take on the content that is being shared on the main show on the Monday episodes. So it's where I will just, it's a solo episode, me and the mic, I will dive deep into some aspect of what we've talked about on that week's show possibly, or on another topic that is near and dear to my heart or something that is on my mind or, or something that's just going on in the news. It could be cultural, theological, social, you know, there's really no limits with what I could do on a Firestarters episode because that is my solo episode. So you never know what you're going to get, um, which makes it fun. But if you would like to join, you can learn more at patreon.com slash kindled podcast. And it's $10 a month. You can help support this ministry and you can get this exclusive content every Wednesday. If you love kindled, you're really going to love Firestarters. I have heard from so many people that they wanted more solo episodes, and this is my solution to doing that. So that is all I have for you today. Come find me on Instagram this week at HaleyWilliams.Kindled, and then be sure and come back next Monday for the next episode in the Christianity and Culture series. Thank you guys so much, and have a great week.